The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 15. Uh, We're doing a series that we're calling Deep and Wide. And sort of the idea is that, that in general, as Christians and as churches, that we that we tend to kind of be one way or the other. Uh, it may be depending on your personality or it might be depending upon your, tra- your religious tradition or your traditional back, your religious background. kind of de- depends on what kind of camp that you fall in. And some of you know, like, some of us are deep people. We're readers. We're studiers. We're, we like to, we're academic. We like to learn more and more and study, study more and more, and you get deep and deep and deep. And the, the problem with guys like, like that, that tends to be the camp that I fall in. I was more, uh, I, I loved athletics as a kid, but I was never actually gifted, and I was just a geek. I'm just to be honest. I was a nerd. I was a geek. That's just kind of who I was, um, and, and that, that's sort of, that was my wheelhouse, and so I was more about learning and reading and kind of that kind of deal than out doing, and then there's other kind of people that are more the, the doers. They're out there. They're making waves. They're doing stuff. They're out. They're active, but they tend to not be quite as deep. Right, and so uh, we're the same way when it comes to our Christian walk, or the same way in churches that we have deep Christians who are always studying, always reading, always learning, always growing, uh, or so-called growing. We think we're growing, or churches that are like that. They're always they have a ten thousand studies. They're always going deeper. They're always they're always uh, in the Bible in in Scripture. They're talking more. And, and I'm a huge fan, by the way, of being the Bible and being the Scripture. We're going to talk about that today. They're always doing studies. They're always talking a lot about doctrine. But sometimes those kind of churches and those kind of Christians are never wide. They're never expanding. Those churches grow deep, seemingly, but they don't grow wide. And then there are other kind of churches. They're the wide growers. They're sort of the, the doers. They go out there, and they're making waves. They're, they're gathering people in left and right. They're growing really fast. And like I mentioned last week, some of them are really good at doing them. Some of them are growing really, really fast, gather lots of people in. But the problem is sometimes... Not all the time, but sometimes it's a mile wide and an inch deep. And what Christ has called us to be as believers, we talked about last week, is to be both deep and wide. Like a live oak tree that, that sends that taproot way down in the ground so it can reach the water even when there's a drought. and sends, and sends roots out very wide under the ground so it can hold itself. Even sitting on the, their live oak trees right off the ocean. That, have sit, that sit there for years because they're extensive root system that hold them there. But not only should we be deep and have a good, solid root system, but we should be wide. We talk about how a live oak tree can have like, I think the number was like 60,000 to 120,000 acorns a year and when it's healthy and it's in its, in its vigor, and that he has called us to be both deep and wide. We talk about how Jesus cares about growth. He was always talking about us growing in our character and growing in our Christ in our God likeness, becoming more and more like God, growing in our walk with him. But he also taught a lot about numbers. He said to go out to all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. So that's what we're talking about, being deep and wide. If you guys remember, I talked about the two pear trees in the backyard if you were here. Do you remember that? So if you weren't here, you don't remember. So it, growing up, I grew up out in the country, in the country. I mean, it, I, I lived in the country uh, I live in the kind of place where uh, you, you said, like, I'm going to go to town. 
You know what I'm saying? Have you ever, anybody ever lived in the country like that? They said, hey, I'm going to go to town. Do you need anything while I'm there? It's kind of like, you know, if we, like, he, now where I live, you run out of ketchup. Like, oh, we're out of ketchup. I'll run and get some. I'll be right back. Or we're out of bread. Hey, we need bread to make sandwiches. Let's go get bread. Where I grew up, it's like, we don't have bread. We're going to eat something else. We don't have ketchup. It's tough. Like, we just got to roll without it because nobody's going to town to go get a loaf of bread. And so, Personally, whenever I grew up, I, I made a mental note as a kid, said, whenever, wherever I live, now it was great growing up in the country, but I, I made a mental note, I said, wherever I live, I'm not going to have to say I'm going to town. I'm going to be in town already. I'm going to be already there. But we lived up in, in the middle of the country. There's always corn or soybeans back behind our house. There were cows. Literally, we just walked through our yard all the time. It was just where we were. We weren't farmers, but we were in the middle of all this farmland on an old family farm. And behind our house were two pear trees. There were old pear trees that had been planted there by the family some time ago. Uh, there was one pear tree that was a beautiful tree. It was good looking. It was shaped like a pear tree. It was supposed to be shaped. It, it, was, it was nice. It had, had very full foliage. I can never say that word correctly, but it had lots of leaves on it, and it was, you know, it was a nice, pretty tree. But the problem was, it was kind of messed up inside, and so it never, ever bore pears. But not only that, but it would, like, blossom at the weirdest times of the year. Like, a pear tree is supposed to blossom, like, late, late uh, February, early March, somewhere in there, and it would just pop out blossoms, like, September. And then, not only do that, then they would die, and then they would blossom again, in, say, December, but not on any sort of uh, uh, schedule. It would just kind of all time, all kinds of times, it would just pop out blossoms, and it would get like little teeny pears after the blossoms were there, and then it would just all die. Never, ever, ever bore fruit. There's another tree about 20 feet from it, and it was kind of a gnarly looking tree. It, it kind of went kind of different ways, and it was, it was a good climbing tree because it kind of went more horizontal than it did vertical, but uh, it was kind of a gnarly looking tree, but every year like clockwork, it would blossom, there would be pears, and there would usually be so many pears that we could not collect them all. We were at the beginning of the season, we started to pick them off the trees, like, oh, this is great, we can come right out here and eat pears, and the next thing you know, there's so many pears, they're so ripe, they're falling on the ground, rotting around the ground, attracting wasps and bees and stinking at the place. And we're like, this is terrible. But it was so fruitful that we couldn't contain it at all. And see, that's the kind of tree that we want to be. In fact, I was telling Megan a few, couple of weeks ago, we were coming back from somewhere, and we passed some uh, a, a peach. We're in, we're in Charleston. We patched by a peach orchard. And she said, and I said something about it, and she said, man, I'd love to have a peach tree at the house. I'm like, but it's kind of an ugly tree, isn't it? She said, yeah, but it's not about what it looks like. It's about what it grows. And see, that, that's the case. Like, the, the trees that bear, like, fruit that we eat are oftentimes not the pretty trees. And in fact, it doesn't matter if it's pretty or not, because the purpose isn't to look nice. The purpose is to grow food, to grow fruit for us to eat. So that's the kind of lives that we want to live. It, like, your life may be kind of gnarled. You may have come through, like, tough times. Uh, life may have treated you bad, put you down. You might be kicked up, beat up, dented up, kind of thrown off to the side by society, by your family, by your friends, by people. But God doesn't care what you look like. God wants to take you and plant you and cause you to grow a deep, wide root system so that you can bear fruit. 
which is what we're going to be talking about this morning. That's the, the goal of the Christian life is to bear fruit. Let's read John 15, 1 through 8, and then I'm going to give you some thoughts on it. John 15, 1 through 8. It's kind of a long um, section, but I, I just need to read it all so we can hear it all together, and then we'll come back to it. Verse 1, I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. If you have a red print Bible, it's in red. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. He's talking to his disciples who are with him. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus has given an illustration here, obviously. It's another agricultural illustration. Last week we talked about um, another, another illustration. This week we're talking about how he is the vine and we are the branches, and that he said that we are supposed to bear fruit. So there are three characters, or three, uh, yeah, three characters in this illustration that he gives. One is the vine. He's saying that he's the vine. Jesus himself is the vine. The second character is the vine dresser, or the gardener. Uh, that is the father. And then the third is us, and he says we are the branches. So what is this saying about uh, us in regards to the kind of life that we're supposed to live and how we bear fruit, what he's called us to do. Number one, I want to look at the absolute necessity of bearing fruit. The absolute necessity of bearing fruit. Look at verses two. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verses Five and six, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And then verse eight, he says, by this is my, my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. So there are incredibly high stakes at not bearing fruit. So, so when we said that, that God has called us to be Christians that are both deep and wide, the idea is that if you are not bearing fruit, then something is terribly wrong. That you're, If you're just sitting around reading your Bible, studying every day, but you aren't growing as a believer, there's not fruit that is being born. We're going to talk about what that fruit is in just a few minutes. If you're not actually bearing fruit as a believer in your character, in your life, if you aren't, if you aren't growing in him and growing in your actions that are the external thing, the external element that's going on, which we'll come to in a second, if you're not doing that, then something is terribly, terribly wrong. There are super, super high stakes at bearing fruit. It's absolutely necessary for Christians that we are. Why? 
Because the fruit is the public proof of the branch's union with the vine. The fruit is the public proof of the branch's union with the vine. The fact that you are bearing fruit is, is the public display that you are what you are. So, so, so when it, football season is starting, right? Thursday night, the, those boys in, in Columbia play a game. And this coming weekend, there's a really big game. I'm really, very, very nervous about it as a Clemson fan. Uh, they play Georgia next weekend. So it's getting ready to kick up. Uh, NFL is getting ready to kick up. Armand and I are in a fantasy draft. Burton as well. Kramer, we're in a fantasy draft tomorrow night, 6.30. Big deal. This is a, a league we've been in for 11 years. Somehow I found some way to throw fantasy football in there. Football season is coming. Now, I have lots of Clemson paraphernalia. I have Clemson shirts, Clemson hats. Uh, I may or may not have Clemson underwear. That's between me and my wife. Uh, I have Clemson flag that you can fly on your car. I, I have Clemson, I have all kinds of things. Uh, football, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I have all kinds of Clemson stuff. But having that Clemson stuff doesn't make me a fan. I'm a, I have that stuff because I am a fan. I wear the shirt because that is who I am. I am a Clemson fan, so I proudly wear the shirt. If you're a, bless your heart, if you're a Gamecock fan, and we came and set up this morning, and Dale was wearing, you know, I actually was thinking about this morning. Dale and I come, and we wear, like, one set of clothes to set up, and then we go and change our clothes. And I thought, like, that's kind of ridiculous that we do that. But uh, it, one day I'm just going to come up here in my shorts and I'm going to preach from my shorts that I was setting up in. I mean, my, it'll be a Clemson shirt. But he was wearing his Gamecock shirt this morning. He was wearing that because, bless his heart, he went to the school in Columbia and he's a Gamecock fan. He, that is the public display of who he is. It's the public proof that he is a Gamecock fan because if you have the guts to wear that ugly logo, which, by the way, it's not, just a, it's not just my opinion. Uh, it, it was in a blog in the past, past few months where they rated the best-looking college logos and the ugliest college logos, and number two on the list of best-looking was Clemson, and number two on the list of worst, the boys in Columbia. That's all, I just, that's all I'm saying, but is if you had the guts to wear that on your shirt, on your hat, then it is a public display of something that is true. And in, this, in a similar way, the fruit in your Christian life is the proof of your union with Jesus. And if there is no fruit, then the problem may be that there is no union. There's the absolute necessity of bearing fruit, not because you have to grit your teeth and bear the kind of fruit that he's called you to bear, which we're going to, again, we're going to get into what that looks like. But it's not because you have to grit your teeth and so, so I'm going to, I'm going to wearing a Gamecock shirt, which has never happened, and if I can do anything about it, it will not happen. I'll have to lose a terrible, terrible, terrible bet or, or be dead for that to occur. But wearing a Gamecock shirt does not make me a Gamecock fan. I wear it because I am a fan. And if you, you acting like a Christian doesn't make you one, it has to be true first in your soul, and then it works its way out into actions. 
but it's necessary that those actions occur. Otherwise, there's a problem with the union that's going on there. The fruit is the public proof of the branches' union with the vine. It's the proof that we are his disciples. What did he say? He said that um, in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The fruit is the proof. And it's also important, number two, because for the branches, the other, option number two is troubling. You're either bearing fruit or you're dead. You're either bearing fruit or you are removed from the vine and you're dead, you're drying up. And what does he say? He says they're going to come and be collected and thrown into the fire. Option number two, it's, it's necessary to bear fruit because option number two is incredibly troubling. It is absolutely necessary that we bear fruit. But then let's look at number two. It's also absolutely impossible to bear fruit. But listen to what Jesus says in verses five and six. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, you cannot bear fruit by yourself. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. See, the heart of the, the, heart of the tree is not in the fruit. The heart of the tree is not in the branches. The heart of the tree is in the trunk. The branches and the fruit the flowers, everything that makes a tree beautiful and attractive to look at, is the heart is not there. You could, why? Because you can remove a flower, you can remove the fruit, you can remove a branch, and the tree will still live. But the, the life is in the trunk of the tree. And if you can be a, if a, if a branch, if a leaf, if a flower, if the fruit is attached, to the trunk, somehow through the system, then it can live. But if it's removed, it's dead or dying. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It is impossible for you to bear fruit. You can, you can try to hold it together for a while. You can have a checklist. I'm going to be a nice person. I'm not going to be as abrasive in my talk. I'm not going to be as greedy. I'm not going to uh, be as gluttonous. I'm gonna, not going to gossip about people as much. I'm going I'm to try to not look at porn anymore. I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to do that. You have your whole list of all your things that you're not going to do and your list of things that you are going to do. And you can try to stick on that and work on that and try to be morally good as hard as you possibly can. But the problem is that that's pasting fruit on with Elmer's glue or with scotch tape. It will not stay because it is not flowing from the vine itself. Eventually, it will die. It will give up because something will happen in your life. Something will happen and it will throw you off your game. You might be a real nice moral person. You might be a really good person. You might be very, it wouldn't be hard. You might be nicer than me. You might be a better person than I am. But eventually something will happen. Somebody will say something to you and you'll, they'll hit that, that, that tender spot. You know what I'm talking about? We all have it. We all have that spot where no matter how tough we are, somebody says a word, a phrase, and it hits us at that tender spot. 
And then all of a sudden, boom, the real you jumps out. You bite back, you say something to them, you get aggressive, you get physical. Something occurs, it's, it's an involuntary expression because somebody hit you in that tender spot. That's, and, then, and then what do we say? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. I was just angry at the moment. What's the problem? The problem is that's who you really are. That's who I really am when I'm hitting that tender spot and I, re- and I respond involuntarily. That's who I really am. I absolutely meant what I said. I, I, what I mean is I don't want to mean what I said, but part of me does mean that. Maybe not the majority of me, but part of me does mean that. And that's what I mean by pasting fruit on the outside. You can try to do that for a while, but eventually somebody will say something, you'll get tired, you'll get worn out, you'll get... Uh, you'll. You don't have the energy anymore to keep it all together, and then it'll just kind of just all fall apart. If you've been in church a very long time, I'm sure you've known people who are in church a long time. They seem to be really good, nice Christians, and they were, they're around a year, two, five, ten years, maybe longer, then all of a sudden, it's like they went off the, the deep end, Right? And you're like, where in the world did that come from? You know, they leave their wife, leave their husbands, go crazy. Things are all falling apart. And you're like, what in the world is happening? They're going crazy. Why did that happen? Because they were pasting fruit on, on the outside, keeping it looking pretty, keeping those trees, those leaves there, keeping the fruit there. But there was no real connection to the vine where they were drawing out the life out of the trunk of the tree. They were trying to do it on their own, and eventually, no matter how strong your branch is, no matter how big it is, it eventually withers up and dies, and it shows that it is not connected. So though he says it's impossible to bear fruit on our own. A branch is useless on its own. It must be connected to something else. It must have a source. Mankind was made to have an external source outside of ourselves. That's why we are always searching outside of ourselves. Uh, Isn't that the story of mankind? We're always searching for something. We're searching for something that will give me happiness, that will give me pleasure, that will give me fulfillment. We're always looking for something. It might be a relationship. It might be a gadget. It might be a possession. It might be power. It might be recognition. It's all kinds of things. It's a mixture of things. Maybe it's not just recognition for you, but it's recognition combined with money, combined by the honey. Recognition, the money, and the honey beside your side. You got all three of those, and you feel like, hey, I've got it together. But even then, like, that'll, that'll like, get you going for a while. You'll feel comfortable and content for a while. But before long, like, it's just not enough for you. You got to get trade the honey in for a better model, or you got to get add more money to that total. Whatever that, like, hey, if I ever lived in a, a 2,500-square-foot house, then I would be happy. And you get there, and you're in there for a while, like, this isn't as big as I thought it was. I need to, if I lived in a 3,500-square-foot house, then I would be happy. Or, ah, that doesn't do it. If I lived in a gated community, if I lived down in Merle's Inlet, or I lived in North Myrtle Beach, or I lived in Charleston, or if I didn't live here, if I lived there, if I, if I, was, if I wasn't a parent, if I didn't have kids, and so we're always trying all kinds of things. Why in the world, and this is a gadget guy who is talking, but why in the world do I need a new phone every year? Is it wearing out that quickly? Or does part of me think that having that phone is going to give me some kind of happiness and fulfillment when I pull it open, I look at that shiny big screen? It's not wrong to have any of those things, but we're always looking for fulfillment 
and contentment and identity and belonging. We're looking for a source outside of ourselves. And the thing is, that's okay. You and I were made to find our source from outside of ourselves. The question is, what source are you abiding in? We're supposed to be sucking sap from something, but the question is, what are you drawing that sap from? What are you drawing that sap from? Because everything, as a branch, you and I are the branches, everything that you try to draw out of will eventually dry up, except the vine, Jesus Christ. There's the absolute necessity of bearing fruit. And there's the absolute impossibility of bearing fruit on our own. And the problem with this is, as, as believers, as non-believers, whoever is here, is that we, we're not aware of our need. See, the problem, if, if we come in and we're going to talk about bearing fruit, if I just started talking about, all right, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Guys, we're, we're going to try to be better. We're going to try to be more self-controlled. We're going to try to be more loving. We're going to try to be more gentle with each other. We're going to try to be all of these things. I'm going to try to be more joyful. Part of our tagline, our, our mission statement is that we want to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. But I could, we could try to come in today and say, all right, this is the kind of life that we're supposed to be leading, so let's try to do that, guys, together. But that wouldn't last. The, the problem isn't that we aren't just that we aren't just bearing fruit. The problem is that we're not abiding. And why aren't we abiding? And we're going to talk about what that looks like in a second, but why aren't we abiding? We're not abiding because we're not aware of our need. If you're not eating, my daughter has been on a hunger fast since she weaned. She, she does not care to eat. It's a chore to her, except, and except, and I say except Bojangles, Bojangles she loves, but even then what she loves, she kind of pecks at it, and then she's done. Every now and then she will have a few, we'll have a sweet spot of a few days where her body has just told her she has to eat, and she will, she will eat, eat, eat for about two or three days, and then she's like a camel, and she stores it up, and for another week or so, she's good to go. She'd rather not sit down and eat and take the time. But she has to eat. Why, is she, why, does, why does she not want to eat? Why does she not want to eat her veggies and all the other things that we're trying to make her eat that would help her be, grow up and be strong and healthy? She doesn't do it because she's not aware of her need. When you and I are aware of our need, we look for help. We look for the source. I hate doctors. I, I not only hate doctors, I hate going to the doctor. I, 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 there's some doctors I know that are, are are, are, are pretty good people, but I don't like to go to them in a professional environment. I, I don't know. Has this been something ever since I a kid? I, I think it's from a fear that I'm going to show up and they're going to find something wrong with me, I, I, just to be honest. Just, we're going to have a group counseling session. That's why I don't like to go. It's not because the office itself or they're scary. It's just I'm, a, I'm afraid I'm going to go and they're going to find out something's wrong with me, and I guess I would rather just not know and just die blissfully unaware. But I don't enjoy it. And I... I it wasn't uh, too too. Wasn't such a bad thing for me because I was a generally healthy person growing up. I, I rarely got sick, uh, rarely had any issues. Just kind of 
hearty kind of country folk growing up kind of, it's, it was all right. I, re- I rarely got even a cold. But uh, as you guys know, some of you guys know, uh, uh, two Novembers ago, uh, my nose started bleeding the weekend after uh, Thanksgiving, and, and uh, it bled like for a whole weekend. And I tried to hide it from Megan. It was a pretty good job because I was like, if people, if she finds out about this, she's going to say I have to go to the doctor. So I would hide it from Megan. It was bleeding all the time. I would like, but come mon- the Monday after Thanksgiving, it was bleeding so profusely. I had uh, paper towels and I had made a, a rolled up U shape out of it, and I had it stuck up both nostrils, and it was it was bleeding all the way down here. And it happened to be a day I was in the office alone. Nobody else was in there, so I wasn't scaring anybody, or nobody was like calling the ambulance on me. And, but somewhere in the middle of the day, I, I thought. You know, this uh, is probably isn't right. It probably isn't supposed to do this. There, there probably is a problem. I'm going to need to go to the ER. So I did. But why? Because I was forced to. I, I wouldn't have otherwise, but I, all of a sudden I became painfully, without a doubt, aware that I had to seek help from some other place. And whenever I went to the hospital and they said, you aren't leaving here tonight because your blood pressure is so high, it, it's, you're bleeding out of your nose as a release valve so you won't explode your brain from the blood pressure. And all of a sudden, all the, staying in the hospital that, that night and all the follow-up visits after that, I've been to the doctor more in the past uh, year and a half than I have ever been the rest of my life together. All of a sudden, though, as painful as some of those may be, as... as um, as much of a bother as those may be, I go. Why? Because I have to go. I am painfully aware of my need. I don't like taking medication, but I take my blood pressure pill every morning whenever I get up. Why? Because I don't want my brain to explode, and I am painfully aware that that is what's going to happen if I do not do it. And if when we are aware of our need, like some of you now, maybe you didn't eat breakfast, and you are aware of your need for food, it's gurgling in there. Even while I'm talking, you're intermittently going out of thinking, uh, this is where I'm going to eat when we leave here. This is what we're going to have. This is where we're going to go. That's fine. I did it. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I might do the same thing sometimes when I'm talking to you guys. I'm going in and out. I'm thinking about why I'm painfully aware of my need. Somebody doesn't tell you that you have to eat. You are aware that you have to eat. You're aware of your need. The problem, the reason that most of us do, are not abiding in Christ like we're supposed to be, that we're not bearing the fruit like we're supposed to be bearing is because we're not aware that as a branch, if I'm removed from the vine, I'm going to shrivel up and I'm going to die. If you knew that, if you and I were that aware of our need this morning, how would your life change? If you were that aware that Jesus Christ is the source of all your life and all your contentment and all your hope and all your identity, how would you change your pattern tomorrow when you woke up in the morning? How would you change your pattern as you go through the day? What would you do differently? How would you reprioritize your day? How would you reprioritize your week? The first thing that we need to do is not to reprioritize and change those things. The first thing we need to do is build our awareness of our need. Build your awareness of your need. And we're going to talk about how that starts in a minute. So we talked about the absolute necessity of bearing fruit, number one. We talked about the absolute impossibility of bearing fruit, number two. 
Number three, we're going to talk about the extraordinary nature of the fruit. First of all, it is extraordinary in its type. The extraordinary nature of the fruit, the fruit itself is different. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary externally. The actions look different than the branches that are not abiding in the vine. Look at real quick at Galatians 5, 16. I don't think I have this for the screen, but Galatians 5, 16 through 23. We're going to run through this really quick. This is Paul writing to the church in Galatia. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So now he's going to frame the, um, in the second, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, now he's going to frame the two different kind of, uh, two different kind of, of life. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, do you guys see that in society? Impurity, you guys see that in society? Sensuality, idolatry, sensuality. Have you guys walked through a middle school recently? That is a different place than what I went to as a kid. That is a sexually charged place, far more than it was whenever I was a kid. Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, does it sound like anybody's uh, family uh, reunion? Uh, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, um, excluding Clemson, Carolina. That one's okay. Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will what? Not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's saying, if you have those kind of works, so that are the works that, are, that you are doing in your life, then, then you are not a part of the kingdom. You are outside of the vine. Those are the works of the flesh. But then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is, there is no law. So he's saying that the, the life of a believer, the life of a Christian, looks drastically different. That the world is full of enmity, strife, divisions, dissensions, anger, sensuality, sexual immorality. These are the way the world, these are the works that the world does. But he's saying that for the believer, our lives look Different. We have a different kind of fruit that comes out of our life. That we should be a people that are joyful and loving and uh, peaceful. We should be patient, kind, goodness, faithfulness, gentle, self-control. We should have self-control. We should be. Our lives should look different. The fruit is different. It's extraordinary. It looks vastly different than the other branches. So you as an individual at your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, we collectively as people should be looking different in the way that we live our lives. It should be very, very different. But it's not different because of rules or guilt or, or just uh, the culture that we're in. It's not because of outside pressure that pushes in upon us and causes us to change. That's the, what most of us, if we grew up in church or come from a moral background, that's sort of the way pressure is normally put on us to change. So we normally pressure we put on ourselves. We have rules. We guilt ourselves. We guilt our kids. We guilt our spouse. We guilt each other to try to push each other into the kind of uh, behavior that we want to have or that we need to have, but he's saying it's, that that kind of fruit does not come from 
external pressure pushing it in, it comes from a different source. It's because our source, our contentment, our meaning, our purpose, our belonging is different than the other branches. We have a different source of contentment, a different source of meaning of life, a different source of the purpose of life, a different, under, a different source of belonging. And because of that, then that is the sap that comes, through, comes out of the vine into the branch that causes us to be able to bear a different kind of fruit. Why are there dissensions? Why are there disagreements? Why is there anger and hostility between people? It's because they're trying to leech on each other to try to get out of each other and get out of society what can only be found in Jesus Christ himself. And if you have a different source of contentment, if you have a different source of of belonging, if you have a different source of purpose and of meaning for life, and you're drawing that out of a different source, then your actions will look different. You can be loving with people, what, what is, like, at its core, loving is, is being able to put somebody else before me and sacrifice myself gladly for somebody else. The only way I can be able to do that is that I'm not looking for a source of life out of them. I'm drawing it from somebody else that enables me to live a life that's joyful, peaceful, patient, kindness, gentle. It's extraordinary externally, the fruit is. And then number two, it's extraordinary internally. So, as I said before, there are some of us here, people here, we know people who are nicer, smarter, more loving, more gentle than we are. That's just kind of part of their nature. That's the way they put together. But um, the question is, what is the motivation for that? See, the gospel changes our motivations. Uh, I remember at, at one point in time, I, I was a kind of young, 18, 19 years old, and I was always a good kid, grew up in school, and I remember one day, I was just kind of convicted, I, I like, to, to think about why do I do the things that I do? Why am I nice to them? Why do I do this? So all the, the things that people around me would have said made me a nice guy, I quite started questioning myself, like, why do I do that? And I started realizing that I was doing that because I was self-righteous, because I thought whenever I'm nice to somebody and loving and did the right thing, Part of me somewhere inside was saying, I'm better than you because I'm doing this. So you can have people that look loving and look nice, but the motivation is because they're, they're trying to be self-righteous or trying to earn their way to something. They're trying to weasel their way, trying to look better. Inside they're saying, I'm better than you whenever they're the nice guy. But that's, the gospel changes our motivations itself. And from the core of why I do things, it changes. Why am I kind? Why am I gentle? Am I doing this because uh, I'm just, it's the nice thing to do or because I want recognition or because it makes me feel self-righteous or am I doing it because I'm free to do it because I'm drawing my contentment out of Christ? I'm not even going to go to this, uh, I'm going to carry the rest of this, uh, my last point over to next week, but I'm going to look at this last point. Not only is the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that we're from abiding, extraordinary in type, that's both externally and internally, but it's extra, extraordinary in the amount. Look at verses 2 and verses 8 of John 15. John 15, 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear what? 
More fruit. He's looking for more fruit. Why do you, our, uh, our pear tree, the kind of ugly one I told you about that had all the pears that would grow every year, not only was it ugly, but every year my granddad, who lived right beside us, I told you I lived in the country, my granddad who lived right beside us, he was the one that had like a cars and all kinds of like tractors and just all kinds of things just kind of sitting in his yard. That, that's, that's, this, this is my wheelhouse where I grew up, guys. I'm going to just be honest with you where I came from. He would come over and he would take his pruners and he would cut off in the early spring or late, I guess late winter, he cut off all these branches and it looked stubby and ugly. I'm gonna tell you, it was already not like an attractive tree. It looked stubby and ugly and I hated it. I hate it because like, that is a terrible tree to have to look out my backyard every day. It was sort of like, it, I hated it. But his pruning caused it to grow and to bear more fruit every year. If a tree doesn't get pruned, it doesn't bear as much fruit. He's looking for more fruit. It's kind of like the same way. I hate home improvements. I hate home renovations. Because for like days or weeks or however long the home renovations go on, it feels like you're going backwards, right? Like you, you can't use the, that bathroom. The water's out today. You can't do this. Like this whole section of the house is cordoned off. We had to move everything out of this room to this room. You can't, you're walking around stuff. I hate home renovations, but you have to go backwards in order to go forward. To renovate, you have to tear some things out in order to go forward, but he's looking, what is it, why are you doing it? Because you're looking to grow the house. Why do you prune the tree? Because he's looking for more fruit out of your life. But then look in verse eight. This, is, this one should get you going, it gets me going. By this is my Father glorified. How? That you bear what? Much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So not only is it extraordinary in the type of fruit that we, that we bear, but it's extraordinary in the amount of fruit. The life of a believer should be filled with great works. He's going after great works. He's going after a lot of works. He's going after much fruit. Why? So that he would be glorified. Look back at one chapter, John 14, verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And then this is a crazy statement. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now, how in the world could he say those are greater works? Anybody here ever, I don't know, raised somebody from the dead? You guys done that? Anybody in here ever, like, taken your lunch and fed a whole stadium with your lunch? Uh, anybody in here ever, uh, like, made the eyes of a blind person see again or grew a, a limb out or made somebody get up and walk or told somebody to go, go rub this mud in your eyes and all of a sudden they can see? Anybody ever done those kind of things? Anybody ever here died on the cross for the sins of the whole world? Anybody ever done that? Anybody here ever rose again from the dead after three days and is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven? Anybody ever done that? So how in the world can he say that we're going to do greater works? Well, I think there's two ways. One way is that now that he has died on the cross for our sins, risen again, sitting at the right hand of the Father, because he has done that, we get to take that news and we get to see people not just like convert to a new religion, but to be born again from the inside out. That is a great, great work. And not only that, but 
His Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus Christ to raise the dead and cause the blind to see and uh, uh, do all the crazy things and sound the mountain and the just transfiguration, there's light everywhere and saints coming from heaven and people standing around seeing and saying we should build a, a tabernacle here, this is amazing. That same Holy Spirit that caused Jesus to be able to do that, that empowered him to do that is the same Holy Spirit, if you are a believer today, that is living inside you. And there's not just one of, you, of those people in this room, even in this small church, there's a whole room of them. So as we leave here today and we scatter throughout the community in all our different workplaces and neighborhoods and wheelhouses and you know, fantasy football drafts tomorrow, whatever circle that you're going in today and tomorrow, there's dozens of us going out. There was just one Jesus in Pal Palestinian Rome at the time. Now there are dozens here, hundreds and thousands in this region and across the world Millions upon millions upon millions of Jesuses scattered throughout the whole world. There are millions of little Jesuses walking around with the same Holy Spirit that empowered him to ministry. So we should be doing greater works because we get to herald salvation to people of what he has done. And it's greater in the quantity. He is looking for great works Whenever he stood in front of the 12 disciples and told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that was a crazy command to a small group of uneducated men in the Hobunkville of the Roman Empire. Fast forward not very far, a few decades in the future, and Christianity has spread throughout the whole empire. In fact, so much so that even before the book of Acts ends, when they show up in a new city, the, the ruler said, those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. So I want to challenge your vision for your life. I want to challenge your vision to ask, are you content with a quiet fruitless life? Or do you desire the kind of life that is filled with a different type of fruit than the people around you? That is filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness out of a whole different motivation? Or do you and do you desire to be a believer who is bearing much fruit? I'm not saying you're going to go turn the world upside down. I'm not saying that you're going to raise somebody from the dead. But whenever you go into your workplace, when you go into your neighborhood, do you want to come back a year from now, five years from now, and have stories to tell? I want us to be able to sit around five years from now and talk about how there were impossible situations. There was that person at work who did not know Jesus, and we didn't think would ever know him. But somehow something happened, and they came to know him. I want you to have stories about people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, who have come to know him. I want you to have stories about how your marriage has changed and your children have changed, the way that you parent has changed, the way that you lead your company has changed because you, your life has become full of extraordinary fruit. That's the kind of exciting life that he has called us to live as believers, as people who bear much 
much. Fruit, it's so important because the glory of the Father is at stake. The glory of the Father, the public display of his nature and character among the people in our families, workplaces, neighborhoods, and community is at stake. If you and I as believers are not bearing this kind of fruit, extraordinary fruit in type and extraordinary fruit in amount, then our workplaces, our neighbors, they will not see the glory of God displayed. That's what he said, that, they, that we would bear much fruit. And so the Father will be glorified. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Next week we're going to talk about how do we abide. How do we abide in him, him and what is the source of that fruit. Let's pray. Father, this morning, um, I know I, <laughs> uh, first of all, I sell, I sell you short. I sell, I sell your call on my life too short. And I, I can be honest, I, I'm far too often content with a, uh, a low fruit-bearing life because, frankly, it's a lot simpler. Uh, that pear tree in my backyard growing up that didn't bear fruit, it got left alone. And sometimes that's all I want to do is just to be left alone and live my quiet life. The guy, that other tree got pruned. It had people coming to it to pick pears off and to eat it. But God, that's the kind of life that you've called me to. That's the kind of life that true contentment and happiness is found in. Not because I'm bearing fruit, but because I'm abiding in you, and therefore I'm bearing extraordinary fruit in type and amount. So Father, I just pray, first of all, that you would challenge our hearts as we uh, listen to uh, this song as we respond in, uh, in communion. God, that you would challenge our hearts to think about how we have uh, sold your vision for our life short. We've been content with fruitless lives. And God, uh, perhaps most importantly, I pray that you would convict our hearts this morning of the sources that we have looked for, looked to for life and contentment and happiness and joy that we've tapped things that do not have the sap that we need to live. God, make us aware of our intense need for you. Because God, if we're aware of that, then we're far, far more likely to abide and therefore to bear fruit, bear much fruit that will glorify the Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.